You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. So today we're closing out, as Dave said, closing out the Advent teaching uh, where we've been talking about waiting expectantly, that we know something is coming and we are waiting in anticipation for it to arrive. Uh, there's a person I know that does this really, really well, and it's my three-year-old, Maggie, with Christmas. Uh, she waits expectantly uh, all year long, literally. She will run through the house. I'm so excited. Christmas is tomorrow. No, Maggie, it's July right now. Like, and, and she thinks if she just yells it louder, she might will it to happen, you know, like, Christmas is tomorrow. We're at Thanksgiving. We're getting closer, but not, not quite there yet. And so she is living literally this life of like waiting expectantly. And of course, Christmas comes and Christmas at our house is super fun because we've got little kids and they, you know, make it really fun. So if you're, if you have kids or you're around little kids, Christmas takes on like this whole different vibe. Um, and when you're buying presents for little kids, um, they say Disney magic, you know, Disney has magic. I think it's like a drug thing that they have going through the vents at the Disney store because you buy things, like when you see it, you say, that will be an awesome present. <laughs> um, and my wife's laughing in the back because she knows what's coming. Uh, so we got this thing for Maggie, our, our three-year-old. It was the last present we opened on Christmas Day, and uh, she tears it open. And if you've seen um, that movie Brave, that animated movie, we got her the bow and arrow. And when I say that in front of you, I feel really stupid. <laughs> we bought our three-year-old a bow and arrow. Um, but it seemed like such a good idea at the time. And I knew uh, this would come back to be trouble um, when I, I think it was like the next day, I walk out of our room into the hallway, and all I hear is, look out, Dad! And like Maggie is standing like this, literally. And, uh, you know, she lets it fly, and she's only, like, three feet tall, so it just goes, Meh. But I know I will get one of those suction cup arrows, like, in the face in not too long. Um, but it's fun. And Maggie, she does, like, they wait expectantly. They know something good is coming, and they just can't wait for it, and, and, and they're anticipating its arrival. And that's what uh, we've been reading about when we've talked uh, about Abraham and the prophets. And, and you look at John the Baptist, and so many people through the Bible lived this life of waiting in expectation, that there were a promise given, and they were waiting for it to come alive in their life. And um, today, we are going to look at, for us, now Christ has arrived. We celebrated that last Sunday. That promise has come true, and, and he has broken in. And we live now as Pastor Dave talked about the very first week of teaching the Advent, we live in the already but not yet. We're in this waiting season of humanity. Christ is broken in. He's been born. Uh, uh, God has incarnated himself into the human story. And now he's ascended. He's gone, but he's not done yet. He will come back. Amen. And he is going to bring shalom, the perfect peace of God, back with him once and for all. So we are in that waiting period. How today we live in that already but not yet season of humanity. That's what we're going to talk about today. And to do that, we're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke 
And we are going to read verses 26 to 56. Luke 1, 26 to 56. And this is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, at the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And your son, uh, and you shall, uh, oh, I'm sorry, conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob and the kingdom. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. uh, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty and has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offering forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, I pray that um, everything found in this text, Lord God, the richness and fullness of your promises, of your character, Lord God, of um, all of who you are, God, it would be present this morning as we dig into your word, Lord. I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil, that 
um, we would receive the words you have for us today, God, and, and it would take such strong root in our heart, Lord, that it would carry us into this new year. God, it would carry us into the season you have in front of us, Lord, that we might declare, as Mary declared, God, you are good, you're magnificent. Your mercies, God, they never end from generation to generation. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we step into this new year, 2013, I know how this works for most of us. Uh, Many of you are making resolutions as we speak. Uh, You're going to lose weight, and you're going to start that new project or enter into a new hobby or something. And those are all good things. What I would ask you to do is just consider uh, doing two things before the new year comes. One is to reflect on 2012. Uh, This was actually something uh, Pastor Tark had talked to, to me about that he does this every year at, at the end of December. He journals. He, he, he doesn't like journaling, doesn't do it often, but once a year he sits down and just reflects on what God has done over the past 12 months. And then after we do that, I encourage you to do that. If you did that every year, you just think about uh, after a decade, you would have this story, this incredible journal of what God has done in your life. So I encourage you to do that. But then Today, as we step into the new year, we want to prepare ourselves, prepare our spirit, prepare our heart for what God wants to do in 2013, believing expectantly that God is alive and he is working and he has something to accomplish in our life, in our city, in our community in 2013. Amen? All right. So why Mary? Why, Why is she a good example of how to live in the already but not yet kingdom of God? What what does she teach us about living in this season? Uh, Well, the first thing is Mary must have been doing something right. God chose Mary out of all of humanity to carry the incarnation of himself. She must have been doing something right. Uh, Mary is the vehicle through which God breaks into the human story. Mary is not God, though. She is not a deity. She cannot forgive your sins. Mary is like us in that she is following God, and and as she does that, she's taking on the characteristics of God. She wants to be more like God the Father as we want to be more like God the Father. Most importantly for what we're talking about today, Mary is one of the few people who lived before Christ and after his ascension. Mary is actually the intersection of the already and the not yet. It comes through her life. And so we study Mary today. And and we want to look at a few elements of Mary's life that are relative for living in this uh, already but not yet kingdom of God. The first is Mary's obedience. Her heart towards the Lord, her obedient heart. We want to look at obedience in Mary's life. The second is we want to look at the role of community, living in a community of faith with other believers. That effect it had on Mary's life. And lastly... We want to recognize the passion that Mary lived out for God and how that came alive. So obedience, community, and passion. These are a few elements of living in the already but not yet kingdom of God. But they're not everything. Okay, It's not exhaustive. But it is for us today as we look at Mary's life. We want to start with obedience. 
And I know even just that word obedience, the thought of obedience is kind of like, ah, I don't like that. We don't like obedience. None of us are actually obedient at all in our nature. Okay, that is why we have laws and why we have punishments. Because if you're left to your own devices, you will not drive the speed limit. You won't do it. You got places to go. There's no one else on the road. Do I really have to obey this law? We know that we won't. So we say, I know you're not going to do that, so I have something waiting for you on the other side, a speeding ticket, and it's going to hurt your wallet enough to make you think about being obedient, okay? It's not in our nature to be obedient. We see this with kids, with children a lot, not because kids are more disobedient. They just haven't learned how to mask it yet. They will, as we have, uh, but we see it. It's, it's raw in front of us. Kids do not want to obey. My kids don't want to obey. It's not in their nature. They have desires and plans and hopes and dreams. And when those desires, plans, hopes, and dreams come under my authority as their father, it doesn't always work out the way they had desired, planned, hoped, and dreamed. Case in point, Christmas time. My kids love sweets. I mean, literally, they will... Gorge themselves on Santa cookies and, and ice cream and bubble gum and, and all of this stuff. And they have uh, these plans, these desires, the hopes and dreams when they go to their class party or to this thing or that. It's just in front of us all the time this season. And they have these plans of just overloading on all of this stuff. And when those plans, hopes, and dreams come under my authority, it's usually disappointing. It, it, it's not fun for them. And for us, in our life, and our walk with God, obedience isn't always fun, but it is essential, essential to walking a life with God. God takes obedience very seriously. In 1 Samuel, God appoints Saul, the first king over Israel, and he gives Saul very specific instructions of the battle he's going to fight, how he's going to win, and what he is to do after the victory with the enemy and all the spoils. So Saul goes into battle. He's victorious as God had promised. And he does everything. He gets to that, that point, and he looks and he sees all this stuff. And he says, I've got a better idea. With good intention, I'm going to take all of this rather than waste it, and I will make it a sacrifice to the Lord. And God tells Samuel, the prophet, what has happened. And Samuel goes to Saul and confronts him. And Saul says, listen, I did it with good intention. And here, listen, what Samuel replies in 1 Samuel 15. He says, does the Lord not delight in burnt, uh, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. God is serious about obedience. Even when our intentions take us other places, he's serious about obedience. And when we read into the New Testament, we see this actually runs deeper than just complying with rules. This is relational. John says that, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And these are the words of Jesus. Christ said this, if you love me, keep my commands. And what we are seeing in the New Testament is that obedience is love. 
And love is obedience. I know that this can be a fork in the road. For, for, for those that are searching for faith, if you're new to, to Christianity and just trying to understand it, we get to that place where we say, okay, this sounds good. There are good things here in this walk with God. But is it going to cost me this? Am, do I have to break from this thing? It's a fork in the road. Listen, this is the truth of it. Please hear this. If you're never, you are never really following God until you are obediently living under his authority. You're never really following God unless you are obediently living under his authority. If you know what his commands are, if you know who God is and what what he desires of us, but we say, I've got this other, this other plan. Then the question is, who's really in authority? Who's really in authority? It's one of the hardest things for us to come to grips with as followers of God. That obedience costs us many times desires, plans, hopes, and dreams that we have. Case in point, let's look at the life of Mary. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her what is about to happen... This is how we can translate it. Mary, you will have a child out of wedlock, meaning you will be the shame of your family, which in this culture means everything. You will be a social outcast. You don't get to name this baby, Mary. And what that means is you will actually never have authority over this child. This child will have authority over you. And because... This is the child that was prophesied. You know that he is going to die a terrible death. He'll be crushed. This is what Mary faced at this announcement from Gabriel. Don't think for a second that obedience didn't cost Mary something. It cost her everything. She was engaged to be married. She was a teenager. She had everything in front of her. Don't think that this didn't cost Mary something. But listen to her response. It's beautiful. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be to me according to your word. She says, I am your servant, Lord. There's something so beautiful about Mary's submission to God. Every, she knew everything right away that it was going to cost her. And she steps obediently into God's plan. When my kids, when I give my kids direction, when I tell them to do something, and they respond back with, okay, dad, I'll do it. Yes, dad. There's something that warms my heart inside of me. And listen, it's not because I'm on a power trip, okay? Really, it's not like, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Who's the dad of this house? Like, No, that's not, that's not, my intention, it's not, it's not my heart. When my kids say, yes, I'll do what, what you're asking me to do, even when I, I don't want to do it, it's not in my plans, my kids are saying, I love you. My kids are saying that it's more important. My, being in right relationship with you is more important than this thing that I had planned to do. It's the same way, you guys. It's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. When we submit to him, we are saying, I love you. 
God, I submit to you. I trust you as a good father that your plan is better than my plan. That's what Mary does. She, she's this woman of faith uh, at this young, as a young teenager who just says, yes, I will give up all of this because you have a plan and I trust it. Can we grasp this together? If we're going to seriously follow God, it calls us to obedience in him. And when we're obedient to God, we, we are literally putting our money where our mouth is. We are literally putting our resources, our giftings, our hopes, our dreams, all of that, we are putting that under the person that, who we claim to have authority. We're putting our money where our mouth is. We're saying, yes, you are the one in authority, and I submit all this stuff to you. That's what obedience is. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's necessary. As we wait expectantly for God to come, we have to walk in obedience to what he calls us to do. Now, after Mary's world is completely turned upside down, what does Mary do next? And this is where we look at the power of the community of faith, living amongst other believers. Mary runs to her cousin, Elizabeth. Notice here that Mary doesn't run where we might think she should run. She doesn't run to her parents. She doesn't run to her fiance. She doesn't run to the temple, and she doesn't run to the priests. She runs to the only person that can relate to her circumstance, that can relate to where she's at. She runs to Elizabeth. Remember, it was actually Gabriel, the angel, who plants this seed. Remember, this is what he says. He says, um, uh, Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel says, okay, listen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. And you have to imagine that Mary's like, what? <laughs> There's no guy involved in this? Like, what is happening? I don't understand anything you're saying. And so he's like, listen, Mary. You know Elizabeth, that old woman, who everyone said was barren, who has been rejected in social circles, who's been an outcast because she can't have a child. The most important job that a woman could have in this culture was bearing children on children. Uh, she couldn't do it, and she was an outcast. And to not even to mention that, her, her husband is a priest in the temple. You know her? She's having a baby. She's six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. It's God, through, through Gabriel, saying, there's someone who knows your circumstance. Go and find comfort and encouragement. And what does Mary experience when she goes to Elizabeth's home? If you don't know this, didn't know the story already, probably not what you'd expect. She gets to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth doesn't chastise her, you know. She doesn't say, you're pregnant? Girl, I know how this works. Don't tell me no angel told you about this. I'm not stupid. Whoops. She doesn't do that. She doesn't chastise her. Elizabeth doesn't even discourage her. It's not, you know those, those people, God bless them, that like you're excited about God and God's doing things in, in your life and you meet this person who's not excited about God and it's like they throw a wet blanket on your faith. It, it, it's, she didn't do that. She didn't say, oh, you saw an angel. Mm, okay. 
come into my house, honey. I've, well, my husband's a priest, okay? I've been doing this a long time. We don't see angels. That's not how it works. She doesn't do that. She doesn't crush Mary's hope. She doesn't do that. She doesn't experience any of that. Instead, Elizabeth blesses and encourages Mary's faith. Listen to what she says. Uh, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, pause here. From everything we know in scripture, this is the first thing Mary hears after experiencing Gabriel, after finding out her whole world is being turned upside down. You have to imagine she was devastated, she was scared, she was overwhelmed, and this is the first thing she hears. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is a shot in the arm. This is a breaking of the fear. This is a breakthrough. This is happening in this community amongst other believers. Mary, uh, Elizabeth had walked this road. What Mary hears when she comes to Elizabeth's house, we translate it this way. Mary, you are so blessed. You are so blessed, more blessed than any woman on earth. Mary, it's an honor for you to be in my house. I'm so glad you're here. Mary, you are blessed because of your faith. Praise God that you believe the fulfillment of everything that's about to happen. Uh, Elizabeth just lifts Mary up. What Mary found in Elizabeth was a confidant, a friend, an ally. This is what the community of God is to be like. A a place where those in distress and confusion and, and, and brokenness can run to and find the grace of Christ. A place where where you can be open arms for someone who is experiencing all of that and receive them in. Listen, hear this. The trials of your life, every bad thing you have walked through, uh, every pain you've experienced, the trials of your life are not wasted when they're shared in the community of faith. The trials that you have walked through are not wasted. They're, they're not for naught. They will build up the people in the body. They will be an encouragement to others around you. This is what Mary experiences with Elizabeth. Elizabeth had walked everything that Mary was about to step into, being rejected, being a social outcast. She, she had experienced much of that. She was a place for Mary to run. community of faith is a place where where new believers, those doubting who God is, uh, trying to even understand what faith is, can gather together and and ask questions and be open with one another and and receive not judgment, but love and patience. Fruits of the Spirit. They can experience those. A community of faith is a place where sins can be openly confessed. There's a transparency that should happen in our community. And be received with with grace 
and with biblical wise counsel. A community of faith is a place where mature believers are pressed to go deeper into their faith and trusting the Lord and putting that faith into action. That's what the community of faith is supposed to be. It's marked, the community of Christ is marked by humility, love, and peace. That is what Mary experienced with Elizabeth. And listen, can you imagine if we lived this way in our communities what it would be like if we walked in that love of Christ, the peace of Christ, the humility of Christ, if we walked in that together, it would be like a little taste of heaven because that's what heaven will be. It gives us a little glimpse of it. That's exactly what Mary experienced with Elizabeth. And Mary is encouraged by Elizabeth. How do we know this? Mary goes from this obedient response when she's talking to Gabriel. Let it be as you have said. I submit to it. She goes from that statement, that posture, to a song that will be sung for thousands of years in the community of faith. A song that declares God's authority and his goodness. This is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Did you catch what Mary says in verse 49? For he who is mighty has done great things for me. This is on the heels of social destruction in her life. Uh, of a light, uh, dreams shattered. And she can proclaim, he's done great things for me. How can she do that? This is where we see the passion of Mary. This is where we see Mary's faith come alive. See, faith was the foundation of the story of Mary. She was a woman who loved God, who knew God, who walked with God. It had to be that way that God would choose her to carry Christ. She trusted in God. And the faith that she had moved her into obedience. She submitted. But once that faith was encouraged, her her faith came alive. Her relationship with God came alive. My family, my wife's family is from Southern Oregon. And I don't mean to offend anyone from Southern Oregon, but they're a weird bunch of people. I mean, they have this obsession with fires, like how you make a fire. And it's been passed on to my wife. Um, when we go to make a fire in like our, our fire pit in the backyard, it's like I have to have the exact ratio of paper to kindling. Never put the log at the the wrong time and like and if I'm out of order I I hear all about it you know like like this is something passed down from generations how we build a fire you don't know what you're doing and to be honest when she's not around there's times where that thing is like just barely hanging on and I'm like okay come on fire you know and what do I do I blow on whatever little embers are, are in there I breathe on them, try to give them some life. And, and you know what happens? They start to just catch, and they pick up a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, 
I'm blowing more, and, I, and I'm encouraging this fire and building it up. And the next thing you know, that thing is a raging fire. Okay, raging is probably a, maybe overstated. It's a good fire. All right? And just like that, that spark of the fire that needs oxygen blown onto it to catch flame, our faith is the same way. Whatever little bit of faith you're hanging on to, whatever little bit you brought in here today, will you just receive this as a fresh wind on that fire? That thing will ignite. It will pick up. As we continue to encourage, as Mary was encouraged by Elizabeth, this passion arises. And when we hear Mary's song, we see a young girl who is alive in God. She is alive in God. This is who she was created to be. And all of us should be alive in God. If your relationship with God is stale, it's just hanging on in those embers, then you've probably lost sight of who this is all about. Let's remember why Mary can sing. The reason Mary goes into this song with passion and with authority is because what was happening inside of her at that moment was something that thousands of years, generation after generation, had waited expectantly for. She had heard it in the temple, and she had read it, and and she'd been around it, this promise. Isaiah promised that someone was coming, that change was coming, that God was going to break in. All of those promises come to life inside of Mary. This is what she's so excited about when she sings. Isaiah said that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every foot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult. For every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Listen, for uh, to us a child is born. For uh, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this day forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this generation after generation read this and cried out to God and believed it and waited and Mary saw this she knew this was happening this was coming to life this is why Mary can sing these promises were coming alive inside of her this is the promise. Gabriel tells her this. He says, he will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. For us, this is the already part of the already not yet. Christ has broken in and changed the world forever. 
So if you are not singing, if you and I are not singing as Mary sang, with that passion and authority, maybe we need to remember what's been done, the promises fulfilled. Listen, this is who Christ is. This is what God has done for us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself. Gosh, listen to this. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If your relationship with Christ is stale, let me tell you one thing. It's not because of Christ. If your relationship with Christ is stale, it's not because of Christ. This is who Christ is. Not was. This is who Christ is. This is what we are living in. This is our preparation time. This is what we anticipate each day that we live out. If you need to stoke the passion for God inside of you, would you just marinate on these verses, reminding yourself as Mary was in the temple, reminded constantly of the promise, would you remind yourself of what we are living in and who we are living for? Let that stoke your faith. For Mary, her passion came alive when she came to that realization all the promises of God were about to come true. Everything she had read and heard was about to come alive. It went from her head to her heart. Maybe that's what needs to happen with us today. All these things we know, all these things we read, all these things we listen to, will it break through into our life, into our heart, that we actually live this out? Can we live with that same passion? Let me remind you what has happened. Christ has come. Death and the enemy have been defeated. All of our sin and brokenness have been redeemed in Christ. And he is coming again. Amen? He will return. We wait the return of our king. This is the season we live in obediently. Uh, this is the season we live in together in faith. And this is the season we live in passion for the return of our king. To finish out, I want, to, um, I want us to look at where Mary finishes in scripture. And for that, we go to Acts chapter 1. At this point in Acts, Mary has lived through all and more that she ever thought possible when Gabriel came to her. She, is, she has experienced rejection, not just socially, but, but Christ has actually pushed her aside. Who is my brother? Who is my mother? She has felt Christ saying, she knows, he is saying, I'm not here. 
for you, Mary. I'm here for the work the Father has sent me for. She's experienced. She's lived it out. It's been painful. She was at the foot of the cross with John watching Christ die and suffer. And yet she knew he had ascended. The word was out through all of Jerusalem. Everyone knew Christ had ascended. He was no longer in the tomb. And so for all intents and purposes, what I would think is that Mary would go home. And she would live out her days in peace. Mission accomplished. God, everything you asked me to do is done. But that's not who Mary was. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 1, Christ tells the disciples, he says, go to Jerusalem. Christ has ascended now. uh, Christ has risen now, and he's about to ascend back into heaven. And he instructs the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and await the Holy Spirit that is coming. Wait for him. And so we read Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the last we hear of Mary. And what is she doing? She is expectantly waiting for God to show up. Can we live that life of faith? Uh, regardless of what you have walked through, what is in your past, can you grasp hold of the promises and the truth of who Christ is and all that he's done and now step into 2013 and the season ahead and be ready? Church, will we be ready for what God wants to do? Let's live that out. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we declare, Lord, that you are the King of kings, Lord, that you are true and good, that that everything you say you are, you are, and everything you say you will do, you will do. God, will we be a people of faith that actually live that out in our lives, God? Lord, I pray that we would have a perspective of you and of Christ that would change the way we see the things around us. God, I pray the things of this world would be like rubbish, Lord God, to us in light of Christ. God, I pray for the the things that we have held onto for hope of this world, God, that, that we'd release them, God, and hold fast to the cross. Lord, I pray in faith, God, that this year, 2013, would blow us away, God, that you would blow our minds away that you would do things we think are impossible. God, you've declared nothing is impossible with you. God, give us a posture. God, give us a spirit that expects you are gonna work, Lord. And we prepare ourselves and wait in that expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.